Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is entrepreneur, business leader, Ironman Thriathlete, and a five-time cancer survivor, Bill Potts. He has waged a 20-year battle against this disease. In his recent book, Up for the Fight, How to Advocate for Yourself as You Battle Cancer, he shares his personal cancer story and those of others, outlining everything you need to know to take on this fight. God forbid you had to face it. Hello, Bill, and thank you for being here as part of Back to Basics. Oh, thank you so much, Leticia, for having me on your show. Well, I'm excited, first of all, not only because I think your book is useful, and of course, I think uh, that you unfortunately had to deal with a subject that, uh, you know, it's like the elephant in the room because we all have this fear. We hear so many people battling. But, you know, you as a person, you know, besides that, as, you know, somebody that is so active, a athlete, an entrepreneur, I mean, I just excited to know the journey even before you had to deal with any of of the challenges of cancer. So why don't we start with like, you know, where are you from and your young years and what did the younger Bill dream about uh, becoming when he was an adult? You know, it's it's a great question. I grew up in Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. and uh, I always wanted to follow my dad's footsteps and be a business person. We got a, had a great relationship, and so uh, that's what I did. I went to the University of Texas and then went to Tulane University to get my MBA, and I wound up working for an oil company, which made sense, uh, Mm -hmm. living in Houston. And I traveled, I lived in a bunch of different places working for them. And after six years, I decided to really chase my marketing dreams and uh, really set my course on the zigzag uh, journey of trying new jobs and new careers and new industries every, uh, you know, four or five years. So I wound up working in uh, in the cereal business, in St. Louis, I wound up working in the uh, accessories and jewelry and sunglass business in Rhode Island. I did a startup software company back in Houston. Mm. And then I worked for the Ironman Triathlon. And when it was really small uh, for 12 years and it became really big and was sold, and that gave me the opportunity to uh, move into the nonprofit world where mm. I was uh, a C level executive at Clearwater Marine Aquarium. Mm-hmm. which is uh, famous for Winter the Dolphin in the Dolphin yes, Tail yes, movie. So wow. I count as a BFF, <laughs> Hope the Dolphin. Oh, wow. And awesome. uh, it was a pretty remarkable time about rescue, rehab, release. And most importantly, uh, like with Iron Man, it was about inspiration that anything is possible. And uh, it was a remarkable time at the aquarium. I left the aquarium a couple of years ago to start uh, a marketing agency and two weeks after I left uh, Clearwater Marine Aquarium, I was diagnosed with cancer. I actually diagnosed for the sixth time. And mm-hmm. uh, so we're still dealing with number six. But I uh, started uh, chemotherapy, had surgery less than three weeks after I left my uh, my job at the aquarium. Oh, and, and this was uh, how long ago? 
Uh, two years. Yeah. Two, two years, years ago. Yeah. You mentioned that. So, of course, we're going to get into that number six diagnosis and, and the others, if, if you don't mind. But so the one thing that I love about what you said is like, it sounded to me when you said we're working on the oil company, sound like, oh, he's successful. You know, you already are in this journey. And and it sounds like you were already embarked in what most people would believe you know, like a great career. And yet there was something there that I said, I love marketing. And it took you, as you described, a zigzag journey, which I love. And Mm -hmm. so can you talk a little bit about that? I I was saying in a recent episode that I love to learn about the jump and what makes people jump because some get stuck in there in that perfect career or what seems to be a perfect career and they don't pursue that curiosity for something else. When you decided to jump into marketing, was there anything in particular that made you do it? I, you know, I had I had a job at Exxon that was uh, deep in the uh, in the marketing side and the brand management side, and and I thought, you know, I, I want to move out of the oil business and and go do something else where it's really a marketing driven company. And so I was lucky enough to find a a recruiter who mm-hmm. took me, and because mm-hmm. I'd been I I was kind of tagged as an oil company person at that point, and she she goes ah. Oh, I will take I will take you and I will get you one interview. And so I flew to St. Louis and did an interview with Ralston Purina and remarkably uh, got hired to start hmm. over. I was in a little tiny cube <laughs> and I was I was a low level you know, brand management guy, assistant brand manager. And uh, it was so much fun. And, and what really drove that was my constant curiosity about other businesses and learning. So it didn't really matter that it was cereal. It was awesome that it was. I mean, I got to eat cookie crisp for breakfast every day and we rice and corn checks. It was pretty fun, but it was really the challenge of learning something new and being with new people. And that was awesome. And uh, so that really, I, I call it job ADD, but after about four or five years, I always seem to want to jump industries and try something else, which has really been the trajectory of my career. It's hard to do. It drives my wife crazy because we have lived all over the country, you know, yes. as I uh, chase some of these opportunities, but it's turned out to be a super fulfilling uh, interesting, exciting, and fun career. My friends joke with me, every single job you've had, Bill, has been a blast. I mean, I was in the sunglass business working with Cindy Crawford, and you know, I'm filming commercials in LA. Then the next job after that, I was literally at a company with no revenue in the software business. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. So I encourage anybody to take that big step, uh, get out of your comfort zone, and uh, just go for it. Uh, you know, for me, I did the startup when I was 40. And the reason I did it then is because I'm like, well, I've got a lot of time. If it doesn't work, I've got a lot of time to build back the investment I've made in that company. And it's been it's been a joyful ride. Oh, that's awesome. And, and that's always I like for people to share. So to make the point that if you pursue your passions and even if you don't know, people expect that straight line journey which never validates and it's almost like why do we expect it to be straight line when we hear so many stories over and over that it's never that way yeah i I think you know if if you're in your career you have to be open-minded to change and you have to be open-minded to your point Uh, there is no linear there is there's a linear career you can you can go with a company and stay with it yes but if you're open to change and open to learning new things you just gotta you just gotta listen Uh, none of these jobs these all happen largely through networking or relationships, the one through a recruiter, but it takes real work and a real open mind to see those opportunities and to find those opportunities. 
Oh, that's amazing. That's great. So that's already inspirational. So I know, and, and you have, uh, of course, uh, an amazing web page and you have a blog there where there's uh, a lot of information is uh, billcpots.com. It will be on the show notes. And one of the blogs that uh, I read that interests me, and of course, in your book that you kindly give, give, gifted me with, mm. you you know, you talk about the whole process about when that first diagnosis comes. You know, we we usually struggle, like, who do we tell? Like with all bad news, like, who do we tell? You know, like, and I don't know about you, but I come from an Italian family and they Mm -hmm. have this, you know, uh, habit of hiding everything. Mm. And they tell you, like, you know, it's kind of different. But when my my parents were in a really serious car accident in Italy Mm. many years ago, and I was here in Miami, and they told me that, you know, they were in the hospital, but it wasn't too serious. Mm. And it got to the point where I got a call at 4 a.m. in the morning with my brother telling me, I have to sign on a surgery for which dad has Mm. like 90% of not making it. And and he went from, it's not that serious. They're in the hospital from like, oh, well, I'm signing this thing and there's a big chance he's not going to make it. And I see that in a lot of families and people and friends where they keep the bad news hidden for a while. And then, you know, we don't know how to deal with that. And Mm -hmm. so I imagine when you got, if you take us from that first time you heard, you know, you have to deal with this and there was the path. What was the diagnosis? How how did you deal with it with your family? And of course, you give some very valuable advice in your book. So if you can share some of that. Yeah, you know, I've been told I have cancer seven times. Uh, uh, luckily, one of them was wrong, uh, uh, but six times weren't. So I do have a lot of, of experience having to tell loved ones about this. And it really depends. Uh, so when I was diagnosed the first time, I had kids that were two, two, and five. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really understand. And so I really wanted to protect them. But my, my advice for people when they're diagnosed with cancer or any other you know, serious illness uh, on relative to how you tell others is initially hit the pause clause because you have to take a deep breath and you have to get your own head and heart uh, figured out before you can start sharing it with others. In the cancer world, uh, many times the initial diagnosis aren't correct. And so you need to verify uh, through second opinions that the diagnosis is correct. And I recommend that really no external communication for sure, not on social media, uh, limit who you tell until you actually have the game plan as to what you're going to do. Because as the patient, uh, whatever the issue is, you need to make sure you're comfortable where you're headed before you start dealing with the emotions of others. Mm. So in my case, I will wait until I tell my mom, my sisters, you know, my nieces and nephews, I'll wait until I have the game plan. And then when I do tell them, I will call them and give them the news there. As far as broadening it past that, I keep that circle pretty slim because as a patient, I want to manage how many people I have to manage. You know, ironically, now I wrote the book, the thing I'm trying not to be defined as, which is a cancer patient, is now it's going to define me through the book. (laughs) But uh, you have to be super cautious about when and what you communicate as a patient. Uh, You know, interestingly, I've learned this the hard way. If, If you tell too many people, they start coming over, they start crying, they start bringing you food, they start you having to starting to comfort them uh, versus uh-huh. the reverse of it. Mm-hmm. And as a as a patient, you have to be kind of selfish 
and then really focus on you from a work perspective, largely outside of this, uh, outside of this last time, I kept it mostly private at work because Mm -hmm. I didn't want people around me to treat me differently because of what I was going through. You have to tell some people, and, and in some cases, you have to tell a lot of people if you're immunocompromised, you know, through your treatment or if your hair is coming out, things like that. They need to know, they need to know so they can protect you. Mm-hmm. But if you can muscle through it without making it too broad, that's actually good. Mm, you said something very powerful where you say you have to manage other people's emotions, which we mm-hmm. kind of know, but you said it in a way that's so direct and, and it really makes sense. It's not only what's going on with you, but it's going on with everybody around you that now has the news and they have to to see how to best support you. And 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 I can imagine that the, the support you get is not always the one you need. And so I can totally see your point. Yeah, it's it's interesting on that side because I was just talking to a cancer patient a couple of days ago because she's going through this too. And you find that some people just disappear. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to handle it. It, it. I don't know all the reasons. A lot of times it's emotions for them. And all of a sudden you have a group of people that just disappear on you. And so what I was telling her is that don't try to overthink it. Just accept it. That happens to almost all cancer patients. But focus on those that lean into you. And then for those that are leaning into you, it, it, you know, there are more friends and family of cancer patients uh, than there are cancer patients and <laughs> is, is to is to be present, but don't tell them they're going to beat it. Don't cry when you see them. Don't tell them they're going to beat it because of their attitude. Don't bring them your favorite casserole. <laughs> uh, you know, don't call them and talk about it all the time. I mean, as, as, a, as a friend or family of a cancer patient, what we need is love and we need support. That's what we need, just mm. presence. Mm. Uh, that's very valuable. And that's why I say it's very brave when you send me the book. And I, of course, and, and, and I admit it, it's almost like you feel like, am I going to read this? Because you feel like, am I, you know, the loss of attraction is, and, and this is, I'm, I'm being honest because it's something we need to break from. Like, this is something really can happen to all, it can happen to anybody. And, 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 you know, it happens to everybody. Uh, I, I've been, I mean, skin cancer, uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh, curable, but it's also sometimes not curable. So we all get exposed through yourself, through others we love. And so it's very important that you put this, you know, that you were brave enough to put this knowledge. And and so my question will be, how do you go from, I didn't tell many people, some people didn't even know until the sixth time to actually writing a book about it. I would love to hear about that thought process. Yeah, the, the book wasn't my idea. And so I woke up on September 17th, uh, 2020 in Jacksonville, in Jacksonville, Florida at Mayo Clinic. And I'd had surgery to remove a very painful and large tumor below my uh, right hip. Mm. And uh, I couldn't have family in with me in the recovery room. So it was just me. And I woke up from the surgery and I had a private room and I was having an emotional breakdown. Uh, Not, 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 you know, tears running down my face. We're talking full fledged, you know, breakdown, sobbing and shaking and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and the nurse, Jen, she came over, she held my hand and she goes, what's wrong? And I said, you know, Jen, I'm not sure I'm up for the fight anymore. That's where the title of the book came from. She's like, what? And so she called the pastor in and we spent about an hour 
talking through all the reasons why that I should continue to fight. I talked her through my life, a lot of what we just talked about now about my career and, and how much joy I've had and, and talked about my family and, and the difference I've made in other people's lives through my family and my work. And that maybe it was just time to stop the fight because I knew what was going to come. And, and I, I, I thought I did. It was, it was a lot more suffering than I anticipated, but at the end of this conversation, I, I was fine. I, I was exactly what I needed. I reconnected with my wives, fight for my family, fight for my friends, uh, fight so I can do more good work, and finally fight to make God proud. And so at the end of this hour, the pastor looks at me and goes, Bill, you ought to turn your pain into purpose and write a book to help others. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And that was the genesis of the book. And I was lucky enough to find a publisher and an editing team that would work with me while I was going through chemotherapy to outline this book. Because when we looked at the market, there's a great book called What to Expect When You're Expecting, mm -hmm. right? If, if, if uh, you're going through pregnancy, there wasn't a book like that for cancer. So this is that book for cancer. It's not just for patients. It's also for the family and friends of people going through. It's a step-by-step -step guide about what happens when you're diagnosed 18 million people worldwide, you know, all the way to the finish with, with some life lessons added in at the end. Well, it's, it's beautifully written. And um, I think it's just for me was, and I have some friends dealing with it, but it's just a lesson on empathy also, like, yeah. you know, because you read it and you, you realize the different angles of, you know, this one diagnosis is not just the patient is the patient, of course, but you, you really bring so many different flavors, even in the story of the nurse and the pastor and that support system that really, maybe you didn't even know the pastor. And then the, he becomes the one that plants this seed to write yes. the book. And so it's just all these uh, godly connections that yes. if you're open to receive, uh, you can really, um, you know, create lasting impact because I do believe your book uh, has lasting impact in the way you wrote it. And and again, you you is an elephant in the book. And and we, you know, I'm Catholic, but I kind of lean a lot into the Buddhist teachings because mm -hmm. they deal with death and with uh, mm. uh, you know what happens when we we are not here anymore better than I believe the Christians do for whatever reason. Mm. Even if we have the resurrection story, I mean, we could lean into so much of our own beliefs for those mm -hmm. of us that, that we could leverage, but we don't. We kind of see it as a as this earthly experience as being it. We don't consider that, you know, it's, which this is just part of the whole journey. I think that uh, all that you present there in the book is it's really uh, incredible. By the way, you publish it on my birthday when when I uh, is September that right? 13, September thirteenth. Yeah. I said, well, happy belated like, well, birthday. Well, thank you. But I'm like, oh, that's a nice sign, you know, that me and Bill have to connect. Besides all the good you're doing, but I say, well, this this book was born on a special day to me. <laughs> yeah, we well, we pick, we picked September because in the U.S. it was National Cancer Awareness Month for thyroid cancer, which I've had. Uh -huh. uh, blood cancer, which I've had four times, and prostate cancer, which I have. So we picked that month uh, in particular. Uh, the book has been done uh, for a while because I wrote it to the timetable that I might not live, right? So because it wasn't a slam dunk that I would uh, beat this uh, latest cancer. And so 
thankfully I did. And, and, uh, but I could not wait for September 13th to come. Oh, oh my God. Well, let me tell you the book name is perfect because just by telling you all the types of cancers you've had up for the fight, you, re I mean, and I am not releasing the video portions of the, of the podcast yet, but anybody can look you up. I mean, you look so healthy. Oh, and so full you. of energy and so you know that you really could be helping reframe the way we tackle this and you said something at the beginning of the interview where you said you know not all diagnoses are correct i think that's so valuable for anybody mm. dealing with it the first time because you of course mm. you want hope you want to know that you know this is yeah it could be very very bad but it, it can also be won over and there can be a path forward and i mean you're a great example of that of course Um, and, and, you know, but just being aware also that yes, this is good, but it's not all good all the time. And you, you wrote something, I don't know if in the book on your webpage where you kind of leave the door open for other numbers, you know, adding to the ones you had. So you, in your mind, you say, I'm, I might not be completely cancer-free for the rest of my life. Like you open yourself to that possibility, which is different yeah, approach from yeah, what you know, like to think. It's uh, it's it's pretty certain that my cancer will come back on the lymphoma side. My particular version is not curable, so I know I have a pretty good idea what's going to happen in the future. It's going to come back, and 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 I I talk about the longer I live, the longer I will live, uh, because I'm waiting for the technology and the and and, and the, the medical community to catch up to my cancer in the hope that someday they will be able to cure it mm -hmm. cancer is pretty smart so it smartens up to the treatments so my last treatment was by far by multiples uh the most challenging one i've been through because they have to they have to uh, really throw the kitchen sink at it to try to beat it down mm -hmm. but what it's done It's changed how I live, knowing what the future holds. And, uh, you know, beating cancer five times is, even saying it, Tisha, is like blows my mind, right? I'm on the end of a bell curve, beating it six times or seven times or eight times. Look, I get, you know, the, how challenging that could be. So it makes me really live life much more in the moment. It for sure changes how I spend my time. Like, All I think about today is I'm excited about this podcast, you know, because this is a chance to, to try to do good and, and, and get, get the word out about the book. But it's also cracks people up like you don't stress about too much. I'm like, yeah, I know. I mean, when, you ha when, when, you, when you've had to think about dying, uh, yes. it, it, it changes how you look at living. And I have a perspective that you can only have if you've been through it and you know, it's, I've had, I've had to really deal with that. It took me a while to catch up to it. It probably took me four cancers to catch up with the whole potential for dying piece. I always just thought I would beat it. And particularly this last time, I'm like, mm -hmm. you got, you got to be kidding me. And so of I kind of got my head around that whole piece. Oh, it's incredible. Your, your resilience is really inspirational. Um, and I, and I imagine that, um, you have bonded with people as you said that are around you and in one part of the of the of your book you you say you know if you were diagnosed you say welcome to the cancer club 
Mm. And if you look, if there is, you know, there's a hashtag and there's, you know, mm. of course, with hope. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm sure that there's a, bo- a very strong bond with other people that can understand from from having gone through it, as you say. You want to try to understand, but unless you go through it, you, you really can't. Yeah, it's true. It's like uh, it's like anything. It's like doing an Ironman. You know, you can't really you're in a unique club uh, that you can't really describe to others very well, uh, but people that are in it understand it. And thankfully, sadly, but also thankfully, sadly, there's a huge number of people in the U.S. and around the world that have been uh, survived cancer. That's the great news. The, the bad news is that cancer is so prevalent and it continues to, to ramp up, not go down. Uh, but uh, that community is pretty solid. And so I found great support for my own journey, you know, through other people, Facebook groups in particular, there's some very specific ones that, uh, that I'm on that are private that we can really share with each other and, and speak that same language about what we're doing. For example, before I go to get scans, it's, it's called scansiety. And, and the day before I'm like sullen, quiet, want to be by myself the day of, I'm a little bit nervous, but then when I walk in the door, you know, I'm fine because I treat it like a, a job and, and I get it done. And I'm, I realize like, oh my gosh, everybody goes through that. And in particular, you know, for somebody like me, that, that scan result, it could literally be a life or death, you know, conversation that uh, it's been remarkable to have that community. But there's also so many organizations out there that support cancer patients like the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, who's been fantastic for me. And each cancer, uh, American Cancer Society, American Lung Association, there's the for colon cancer, the big, they all have, they all have nonprofit uh, groups that can support these cancer patients. And it's been remarkable, even, even to the point of the big cancer clinics. I've been in MD Anderson and, and, and Mayo. They have social workers that'll work with you all the way down to Southwest Airlines, who helped me out when I was traveling. I traveled, flew 23 times in 24 months from Tampa to Houston for my cancer, even they were super flexible on my changes. Even they helped me out through MD Anderson with some vouchers when the cost of of cancer travel gets to be so high. It's unbelievable the support out there for cancer patients. Mm, I love those shootouts that you're giving. And I love that because that's important. I think that we, you know, like, um, the trend that you see even for on the sustainability side, we, we talk about how to make the earth a better place and all that, but companies have a real opportunity to make a difference in people's lives, especially if there are companies like airlines that serve customers that, you know, that there's so many programs that you can, from which you can show compassion, you can show, you know, support that really would go a long way and create a long loyalty, you know, to, to the, mm. to the, to the people because you're understanding what what problem they're in. And so you bring off, of course, the cost because a full chapter in your book is called The Business of Cancer. Mm. And I think that's unfortunately important to address, especially in the U.S., because, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, countries in uh, my parents are Italian and then my husband is Dutch. So Europe, it's a little different. You know, you get these kind of, of news and you do have a health system that will support you through most of those costs. But in the U.S., we know that's not the case. What have you learned or what what pieces of, I know it's a long subject, uh, but what nuggets of wisdom, if you will, that the, the things you've learned 
could, you know, help anybody that's having to face uh, any of those issues, which mean not understanding the insurance, not understanding that financial aspect. Yeah, first thing is if if uh, if you're recently diagnosed with cancer, you need to address the financial piece, which can be enormous. Uh, a big percentage of cancer patients in the U.S. wind up with financial issues because of, of the cost. And it's not just the cost of the deductibles. It's not the cost of the copay. It's the cost of things like clothes because you're going to lose or gain weight. I gained weight uh, because of the, of the medication. It's going to be the food that you eat. It's going to be the travel. If you've got to travel to where you go, a hotel, gas, it, it adds up. Uh, for me, it was flights. And uh, so you need to upfront say, this is going to cost a lot, no matter who you are, and, and start planning for it. And for us, you know, budgeting for it, uh, cutting back on other things, because what's a bigger spend? What's a better spend than spending on your health, right? So you, you have to address it up front and change early so you can be prepared. Also, get some professional help on that. If you have a financial advisor, or if you don't, the social workers at the at the high volume cancer clinics can help you, and they can help you identify uh, sources of funds, like they did for me for Southwest ticket vouchers. Leukemia Lymphoma Society helped me out early on in my battle with some some travel uh, issues that I was having. Uh, so reach out to those nonprofits for your particular type of cancer and get some help. But you need to really address it because in the U.S., it's a big deal for everybody. Yeah, I think that's a very valuable advice. And so, and of course, I could talk that there's so much in the book, but uh, I want to ask you, how's your family doing now? Like, are your kids fully supportive? How old are they by now? Yeah, I've got twin girls that are 25. Oh. I've, I've got one that lives close by, one that lives in Boston. Uh, they're amazing. Uh, the one that lives close by is uh, she, she kind of mothers me uh, in particular, you know, making sure I'm eating right, getting the right rest in particular, going through the treatment, which was lengthy. I'm still recovering uh, from it. So she keeps a pretty good eye on me. We communicate all the time. We're pretty tight. We were close anyway, but mm -hmm. we're really close now because they know what the stakes are that I'm playing for. So they yeah. spend their time. Like when my daughter comes in town, she she wants to do one thing. She wants to hang out at home with her mom and dad and see her twin sister, of course. Mm -hmm. But she's not going out to do other things. My son, who's 28, he lives in Boston as well. And I hear from him often. And uh, so they're doing fine. But advice I have for people listening is make sure that they get the support that they need. Mm -hmm. uh, because... It's a lot for the kid of a cancer patient. And, and we've been fortunate that they've been able to get some professional support to kind of coach them through it. I think that they're, they get rattled. You know, if I catch a cold, they're worried because of what could happen. I don't really have an immune system uh, still. So, uh, yeah, I get, I get great attention from my kids and my wife, home run times infinity. I mean, she's been through with me in this journey every step of the way. And how many times has she sat with me? going through chemo or immunotherapy, I, I, I lose count. I've been there so much. I mean, I've been doing it for 20 years. So mm -hmm. uh, our family would be defined as very close-knit. Well, and that's yeah. one, of the, one of the blessings of this journey for us. I, I believe it. I believe it. That's definitely um, and, and, and a necessary thing to, to be able to go through this and so that you can focus on treatment and all that. So I know you've done so many interviews. I mean, your book has been featured 
in many, many uh, places. Um, to, I always like to give an opportunity. Is there anything else besides, of course, making a full recovery from this last uh, treatment that you mm. have and getting back to, you know, as normal as you can get uh, yeah. considering the c- circumstances? Anything else that we haven't touched upon that you'd like to um, highlight? Well, first of all, thank you again for having me on your show. Uh, I love your energy, your positivity. Your 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 podcast is just terrific and can really impact a lot of people. Relative to to me is that I I I think that this book is if you know somebody that's going through the journey, uh, give it to them. If you are a, a friend or family member of somebody going through it, uh, read it. Look, I hope your listeners never have to read this book. But unfortunately, you know, most people know somebody going through this journey. I think the the best lesson, and this is not why I wrote the book, but this is the feedback I'm getting from people, is that it gives you hope. Because beating cancer as many times as I've had, when I rang that bell, it gave me, it, it gave a lot of people a lot of hope. And the last thing I, I, I'll wrap it up with is no matter what you're dealing with, uh, what I've learned, because I almost gave up my fight and giving up my fight was fight for my life is not to give up, is to keep fighting. And I'm so grateful that I did. And I was up for the fight because I love life so much that I'm just grateful, grateful that I fought. Mm, I'm grateful you did too. And I'm very convinced that God has a very special mission. Of course, he put it already with this book, Mm. but I do think that the the work that you're doing, it's it's impacting so many people that Mm. God, it's like you, you, you're like the best CEO with a purpose that one can have on the cancer mission. So I think yeah, thank you. I'm trusting that uh, he wants to keep you appointed on that job for many, many, many more years. Yeah, counting on it, counting on it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but without number eight and number nine, like uh, you, yeah, got your, you can get your point across already. Say, God, <laughs> I can get this point across. I don't need any more testing. I think oh. I'm, I'm the guy for the job. That's it. I'm going to keep inspiring. Well, and- Unless he wants me to do a second edition. <laughs> yeah, no, I think with one, it's fine. I think uh, all the information is useful here, Bill. <laughs> so my last question is, and, and for you, it would be you know, more meaningful. In those days or that you're getting through it and you need to reconnect either to your why or to what will keep the fight going when you get to that essence of who you are, that it, 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 you feel replenished resource, what makes you tick? What makes me tick is really trying to live a life of significance uh, and to make a difference. And, and my career kind of went that way. My last two big jobs with Ironman and then the aquarium were really about making a difference. And that's the way I want to live. And that's what motivates me. Look, this is a hard subject for me to talk about. And it's particularly hard to write. It's kind of triggering. But the trade-off is the living a life of significance and purpose. It's also on audiobook, so uh, people can hear the story as well. But that's what gets me up every day. What can I do today to to make my life significant? Well, I'm very, very grateful that, that our paths cross because this is, you know, I've enjoyed this interview very much and learning about you, your journey, but also the incredible human being that you are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, I wish you the best of luck. I'm sure we'll be connected, but thank you for the inspiration, brave inspiration you're giving to the world. Uh, Well, back at you. I really appreciate you so much. 
Thank you, Bill. And thank you all for joining and uh, all the show notes to Bill's contacts and where you can get the book, of course, on Amazon, but it will all be on the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. And until the next time, take care. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you and until the next time.